Hello and welcome to Grace Life Tigerberg. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. Uh, this morning's message we are going to look at what sets Christianity apart. So last week we looked at some of those things that sets Christianity apart and God will reference the two specific videos that we looked at, just the, the credibility of the Bible, the history of the Bible, where it's come from, what it's endured, how it's been preserved, and it's really a miracle. It's a supernatural uh, uh, um, phenomena, the fact that the Bible is still what it is today and how it's been uh, preserved. And then with regards to just the sharing of faith, and, and uh, we looked at that one specific video, and I want to just highlight those six points quickly. The teaching is also online. Um, you talked about the, the six E's of uh, the testimony uh, of the New Testament. And you talked about eyewitness accounts that uh, all of the New Testament writers were either immediate eyewitnesses of Jesus' life or knew someone close that was immediate eyewitness to, to Jesus. Then we looked at the, uh, the early manuscripts or the early uh, uh, that all of the letters being written so close to the, 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 the death of Christ. So the closer to uh, an actual event the more credible a source is. And so that's the concept of the early witnessing. Then we talked about uh, the excruciating uh, um, testimony, the fact that all of the, the, the writers of the New Testament um, uh, died excruciating deaths. And then we looked at the embarrassing testimony, which is also funny, the fact that they recorded embarrassing accounts of the, the writers of the New Testament. So they didn't spare the detail. They didn't just, just kind of uh, keep it squeaky clean. They shared the embarrassing details of the, the early witnesses. Then we looked at the extra biblical accounts. And then lastly, um, we took, uh, they, they talked about the, um, the expectancy of, so the prophecies and everything that referred to Jesus coming. So those six E's, um, and then if you want to put a seventh, Etienne's witnessing as well. Um, no, I'm just joking. Um, those six E's are really awesome um, tools to remind yourself of when you're ministering to someone who's struggling to believe that this Bible thing, like it's outdated or it's like, how can you believe this? There's six very strong uh, proofs for you. So what sets Christianity apart? Uh, apart from that, we're going to get into some more of what sets uh, Christianity apart from us. Um, the thing that we need to just uh, kick off with is whenever God has created something good and pure, something holy, something to bless us, the enemy has come, the devil has come to distort that good, that pure. And that's why we're sitting with so many uh, religions in this world, so many belief systems, so to speak, in this world, because firstly, the devil is cunning, is divisive. He's manipulative. And so he takes something that God has created and he distorts it. And over many periods of time, it becomes chaos. It becomes a whole, a complete warped thing, a complete warped idea. And then secondly, also because of the fallen state of man, the fallen nature of man. Let's go to John chapter 8, verse 44. And so we're going to look at some of these things. And then we're going to look at just what sets Christianity apart so that you firstly, as a Christian, can be more assured of in your walk with God. And then secondly, if you're encountering someone or if you're struggling with some things, you can be assured of that or grow in your surety of why Christianity? Why do we believe what we believe? So John 8, 44 says, For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love the devil, uh, the, the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth. Because there is no truth in him, when he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. 
He has always hated the truth. Evil, all forms of evil is rooted in two things. Or, uh, all, all forms of evil is rooted in the lack of two things. Truth and obedience. Truth and obedience. Why do I mean uh, by that, that? That Firstly, truth. I think all of, us, all of us can understand truth. Firstly, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. So truth isn't a matter of opinion. Like if you think truth is a matter of opinion, then... Uh, Man, you're heading down a, a, a rocky trail. Um, truth isn't a matter of opinion. Jesus came to show us truth. He came to reveal us truth. He came to uh, model truth for us and living out the nature and the character of God. Um, but another way to look at obedience, which is uh, one that we, we would all probably prefer more, is faith. We like the word faith more than obedience, right? Because it's, uh, it seems more grace Gracie, it seems more loving. Like, let's just have faith, guys. Let's just sit around the campfire, sing a few songs and have faith. But we don't, we don't like to talk about obedience. But obedience is faith. If you break it down, obedience is faith. Obeying, believing what God says about us. Believing what God made available to us. Because any form of faith that is true biblical faith is going to obey. James talks about this. Faith without works is dead. So whatever you believe is going to lead to some kind of action, and that's what obedience is. And so wherever we see forms of evil, there's either a lack of two things, truth or obedience. Because a lot of Christians know truth, but a lot of Christians aren't obeying, are they? Present company excluded, all of the people who didn't come this morning, right? They're the ones that don't obey, and uh, you guys do it perfectly. I'm just joking, sarcasm. Um, just uh, excuse my sarcasm. But there's a there's a... There's an invitation for us to not only believe the truth, but also where it's applicable, obey the truth, obey the word, obey the instructions of Jesus. Um, the amazing privilege that we have of obeying our spiritual leaders as well. Not blindly, it's not blind obedience. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So if you see that example, then there's an invitation to obey as well. See, some of you don't like that. <laughs> the problem is this. If we kick against the grain and limitations and instructions like that, we are doing ourselves more harm than anyone else. Your lack of obedience to the Word of God is not hurting me. It's frustrating me. It's not hurting me. It's my life, I'm going to go forward and I'm going to excel in the things that God has invited me to. I'm going to be a fruitful child of God. But your lack of obedience is deterring your fruitfulness in your personal life. Let's look at another, um, this is not in my notes, uh, the, the picture of sub submission as well because it's linked to obedience. It's amazing to see that throughout our lives when we get to a specific point in time, and marriage is a great example, there's an invitation in Ephesians chapter 5 It talks about um, husbands and wives being mutually submitted to one another as unto Christ. And then it talks about wives submit unto your husbands. So before it even comes to the specifics of wives and then husbands, it talks about a mutual submission. Now what I've seen oftentimes in marriages where there's a, there's a lack of submission in marriage, there's most likely also a lack of submission within the body of Christ and leadership. And then that lack of submission was also probably there from childhood. A sense of rebellion against leadership and authorities. 
And so that's why it's vitally important for us as parents even to train up our children in the way of the Lord and show them and model them what submission looks like. And maybe you've got a warped view of submission and that's not God's fault. It's the devil's fault and it's your fault as well in a sense because you haven't opened up yourself to allow the Word of God to show you what submission is about. And if you're kicking against that picture of submission or obedience just because of a bad experience you've had in life, you're not doing yourself any good. So I want to invite you, get into the Word, see what the Word is talking about, and the invitation, because as I'm talking about obedience and submission to leadership, I'm not just asking you to do something that I'm not doing myself. Jesus Himself modeled this again for us in Philippians chapter 2, where it says that He humbled Himself. He made Himself vulnerable. He was humbled to the, the, the invitation of God. Now Jesus was God, so just bear with me, but he, he modeled that relationship. So there's more picture of modeling and showing us what it looks like, that what God does within God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the, the picture that they modeled, modeled for us, they modeled unity. They modeled submission to one another in a sense. And so for us as well, we can't say like, ah, oh, but that's unfair because... Jesus didn't do it all. That's unfair because Etienne isn't doing it. Go and ask Shane whether I'm submitted to his leadership. Go and ask Peter if I'm submitted to their leadership. Go and ask any one of our leaders whether I'm mutually submitted to them. And so what I'm asking of you and what we're talking about, it's not just uh, me throwing some heavy truths at you, but this is something that I've experienced in my personal life and uh, uh, enjoying the fruit thereof. So we see uh, the, the, the work of the devil continue through creation and even in the beginning, right in the beginning, Adam and Eve. And he's very cunning because either he gives us something that seems true or he gets us to think that what we have isn't really true. Right? His taxes are very cunning with regards to warping the truth, distorting the truth. He either gives us something that seems pretty good, it seems true, and then we embrace it because it of a lack of knowledge and that's why it's vitally important to not have a lack of knowledge but to get into the word and establish yourself in the word because otherwise if you don't the devil can throw anything partially true at you and you'll grab it you climb the sinker and you won't feel the the ramifications of it immediately but five years down the line your life will show the fruit of embracing a partial truth another way of saying partial truth it's it's a lie. Because if it's partial truth, it's still a lie. It needs to be the whole truth, the full truth of who God is and what Jesus made available to us. So in Adam and Eve's case, for example, he gave them this, this idea that they did not have something. Did God really say? No, but if you do this, then you will become. They were already. God already spoke and said that you are created in my image. So they did not believe that because the devil came with a lie and said, if you do this, then you will become something. And for us as Christians also, we, we're kind of sitting in that camp oftentimes where we think, if I do this, then God will love me more. Or if I do this, then I'll be a more complete Christian. That's not the obedience that I'm talking about. Salvation is not a work. We're going to get into that a little bit later, but I just want to kind of quickly highlight this. Salvation is not a work. Jesus did the work for us. 
Salvation is a gift from God that we just need to embrace, believe. But from salvation and growing in the things of God, it's going to require some working, some obedience, some denying of the flesh, because the flesh doesn't want to obey. You guys can nod your heads. You know what I'm talking about. The flesh doesn't want to obey. The flesh always wants to be right. Who of you enjoys being right? Let's be honest. Okay, thanks for the honesty, those who are honest. The flesh once enjoys being right, being on the right track, getting a tap on the shoulder, well done, you, you're going the right way. We don't like to be kind of paused, someone grabbing you by the shoulder, gently. What's going on here? Like, what are you busy with? Like, we're going this way. The flesh doesn't like that. The flesh just wants to be like, wow, you're doing good. Keep going, keep going. And so this is, this is what we have to kind of work through in life. And that's where the obedience comes in. That's where the de denying of self comes in. It would have been amazing if once we said yes to Jesus, all of that just went away. But it doesn't go away. It's there. The working through those things. And within community and within having a... a an attitude of humility and meekness, we can endure and push through those things and actually start building such a, such a um, resistance against the flesh, against self-centeredness. Uh, self but it comes with time and it comes with action and continually choosing to obey. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, For the God of this world has blinded the unbelievers' minds that they should not discern the truth, preventing them from seeing the illuminating light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image and likeness of God. Now, uh, we're going to look at another scripture in a moment, but one thing that I want to just uh, point out for us, and in order for, for people to experience light, they need to encounter light. And what is the light referring to here? The Amplified says, discerning the truth, preventing them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. It's the message of the gospel. It's the message of the Bible, which is the message of the gospel. Jesus, God's will for the world to experience salvation. And so an unbeliever can only experience light and salvation by coming in contact with that light. Right? So, so praying for unbelievers and, and praying for people who haven't yet experienced uh, this light, our prayers are incomplete if it doesn't include the gospel reaching them. Our prayers are incomplete if it doesn't include the gospel reaching them. Because it's only through hearing the gospel that someone can experience salvation. It's only through hearing the gospel that they can be confronted with their reality of what truth is versus the reality of God and what He defines as truth. And so it's vitally important for us to not just uh, pray for people uh, and say like, I wish they come to, to see the light. I, I kind of I pray for, for their eyes to be opened. Their eyes can only be opened when they are in, uh, confronted with light. And so it's vitally important for us to understand that. But Jesus came to perfectly make God's intentions known to us. Jesus came to perfectly make God's intentions known to us. If there was any doubt about who God is, what, what, what is He like, what is the desires of us, Jesus came to make that clear. He didn't come to, this might challenge you, uh, Jesus didn't come to represent God. 
He was God in the flesh, in human form. Oftentimes we kind of have this picture of like, Jesus is standing there and he was kind of like a, he was, he was pleading to God to not like punish the world and like a, when God gets angry, then Jesus has to kind of jump in between us and be like, no, 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 Father, like, please, like, they, they're actually good people, like, don't do that, like, that's not who Jesus was. He didn't come to represent the Father. He was God in the flesh in human form. So he expressed the Father and he showed us who God is, but he wasn't representing him as, a, as another being of sorts. If that doesn't make sense to you, please uh, come and speak to me afterwards. But John 1, 1 says this to us. In the beginning, before all time, was the Word, in brackets, the Amplified tells us there, it was Christ. So in the beginning, before all time, was the Word, Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God Himself. So again, it, it gives us this, 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 this perfect picture of Jesus and God. It's, they are God. It's the same being. And I know in our minds, like it doesn't always make sense to us. How did kind of how did Jesus come to earth, and and where was God then? It's good questions. We'll get into it not this morning, but it's uh, it's something important to come and understand because it gives us more surety in our relationship with God again, uh, understanding that uh, uh, understanding that and how that kind of makes practical sense. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 and 3 says, But to us living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly in the language of a son. I love how the Passion Translation communicates that because it communicates what I'm basically telling you guys here. God spoke to us openly in the language of a son. Jesus or what Jesus came to do for us was God's language in some way or form. His way of communicating to us, revealing himself to us, not revealing his son to us, revealing himself to us. Because oftentimes, like I said, we again have this picture of like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray to Jesus and I'm going to focus on Jesus because he was the nice guy. He was the cool guy. He, 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 did, he did cool things. And then we look at God and especially in the Old Testament, we're like, oh, he was quite harsh. He was, he was a tough guy. He was like that father that was very stern and like strict and like, it's my way or the highway. And so we, 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 we struggle with, with that idea of God. And, we, and then we also not embrace the father of who God is in life because we've got those kind of tainted views of, of God and how him and Jesus were two different kind of uh, personalities. Not at all. God speaks to us openly in the language of a son. The pointed heir of everything. For through him, God created the panorama of all things and all time. So again, linking it to that from the beginning of time, John chapter 1, 1. Jesus has been there because they are one. The sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor. The exact expression of God's true nation, uh, true nature, his mirror image. So Jesus was the exact expression of God's nature, his mirror image. He holds the universe, universe together and expands it by the mighty power of his spoken word. He accomplished for us the complete cleansing of sins and then took his seat on the highest throne at the right hand of the majestic one. So what this is communicating in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 and 3 beautifully again is that God and Jesus had one thing in mind. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one being had one uh, goal in mind. It is 
for relationship for mankind, for us to experience His goodness, for us to experience life. If you can see it in Jesus, you'll see it in God. If you can't see it in Jesus, you can't find it in God. And you might read specific things about God or see specific things about God in the Bible, but if it contradicts the picture of who Jesus was and what Jesus modeled for us, then we're misinterpreting it. I'm going to say that again because it needs to sink in. If we see something in the Bible, we read something in the Bible, and it doesn't perfectly, uh, if we don't see it in the life of Jesus, then we are misinterpreting that passage of Scripture. Because Jesus, what Jesus came to do for us through the Gospels and what the writers of uh, the, the, the epistles, the New Testament letters are doing for us, it's giving us the interpretation. It's, it's perfectly uh, communicating to us the Old Testament and what the Scriptures meant, how it pointed to Jesus, how it pointed to what Jesus was going to come and do for us and what the reality now is of Christianity, God's Spirit in man. And so it's important for us to understand the composition of the Bible and how it's put together so that when we go to a passage of Scripture, we don't take it out of its context and we interpret it correctly. And the greatest uh, measuring rod, so to speak, or the greatest filter to interpret any Scripture, any passage uh, from the Bible through is through the life of Jesus. Because Jesus was the exact Expression of God's true nature, His mirror image. Exact, complete, perfect. So if you read anything and it's not what Jesus was, what Jesus did, then you're misinterpreting it. So get understanding, pray and ask God to show you how is this applicable in light of the life of Jesus. How is this a reality in light of the life of Jesus? So let's look at uh, some distinct realities that sets Christianity apart. Are you guys blessed so far? You guys aren't convinced. I hope uh, we've got some more time to convince you guys. So uh, let's look at some distinct realities that sets Christianity apart. Firstly, the motivation of love. And like I said, these things, make note of them and consider them in, in sharing with your, your family that's maybe not convinced, your, your loved ones that's not convinced. Share these things with them, make note of them, because these are great things to help them understand that what we have, what Christianity is about, is not just another religion. It's not just another cool idea. It's not just another way to keep people in line. Praise God, it's not just that. Yes, by embracing the reality of who God is and our, our union with Him, life will look better. Like this world will make more sense. So there will be more order, praise God. But that's not all that Christianity is about. Romans 5 verse 8, we need to understand that firstly and foremostly the motivation is love. This thing that we call in Christianity the motivation is love. But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we're still lost and ungodly. The motivation is love. The motivation for, for God coming to earth in human form, the motivation is and was always and will always be love. And it's not the kind of love that we often kind of 
think about the love for coffee. I love coffee, guys. I enjoy my coffee. Uh, it's not the love that you have for a pet. It's not the love that you have for a sunset or a sunrise. This love that we're talking about is, is the love that is linked to God's very nature, His very being. And it's a love that is unconditional. It's unselfish. It's never-ending. It doesn't stop. It keeps on giving. It's a love that doesn't make sense. A love for a cup of coffee makes sense, right? Especially here. It's good coffee. The love for this coffee, it makes sense because it's good. The love for a sunset and appreciating that, it makes sense. It's beautiful, right? But the love that God demonstrated to us does not make sense because we did not deserve it. While we were still sinners, while we were still ungodly, while we were sometimes they say enemies of God, He sent us Jesus to come and demonstrate His love for us, His goodness, and by dying in our place. 1 John 4 19 says, Our love for others is our grateful response to the love God first demonstrated to us. Man, when you embrace the, the life of Jesus and what God came to do for us, you'll overflow with more love than you could have ever thought about giving. Because the love that we have for others is proportional to the love we've experienced and embracing from God on a daily basis. So if you're lacking on giving love to people and you're getting frustrated or you're like getting caught up in a whole bunch of different things, allow yourself to be overwhelmed with God's love because the love that He demonstrated for us and experiencing that and embracing that and growing in that because it's not just a once of thing of like okay now I've, I've, I've seen it like I know it okay now we're moving on to to better things no it's a daily continual walk of allowing God to saturate you with his love to reveal himself to you because the more we see his love and experience it the more it will overflow because it's in proper response to God's love we can love others Secondly, what sets Christianity apart is by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by free grace, God's unmerited favor, that you are saved, delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation. Through your faith, and this salvation is not of yourselves, of your own doing. It came not through your own striving, but it's the gift of God. Not because of works, not the fulfillment of the law's demands, Lest any man should boast, it's not the result of what anyone can possibly do. So no one can pride himself in it or take glory for himself. How many religions out there is based on what I do? That's not Christianity. You could never and would never be able to do enough to be right before God. To stand in the presence of an almighty Sovereign, perfect, holy God in and of yourself. Praise Jesus. He made it possible for us to enjoy that reality. Be able to stand in God's presence without any feeling of guilt, shame, fear, condemnation. Right here, right now, it doesn't matter how bad a morning you had, it doesn't matter how bad a week you had, God's accepted you. In his beloved, in Christ Jesus. You are loved by him. It's a gift. It's by grace. And all we need to do is put our faith in his love. 
Titus 3, 47 says, When the extraordinary compassion of God our Savior and His overpowering love suddenly appeared in person, as the brightness of a dawning day, He came to save us. Not because of any virtuous deed that we have done, but only because of His extravagant mercy. So again, it's not because of what you've done that you get to experience this. But it's because of who He is. There's no other religion, and I hate calling it a religion, but bear with me in light of the context of things, comparing things. I'm using the word religion, but it's got no connection to Christianity because it's not a religion. It was never intended to be put in a camp of other things as well. It's set apart. It's different. It's not like, okay, cool, let's look at the, the group of religions of the world and put Christianity in there and let's see which one is the best. No. There's no comparison. But I'm just uh, uh, drawing some connections for you guys to understand and to have as, as talking points with people who are maybe struggling with the idea of Christianity. Why is it different? He saved us, verse 6, resurrecting us through the washing of rebirth. We are made completely new by the Holy Spirit, whom He splashed over us richly by Jesus the Messiah, our life giver. So as a gift of His love, and since we are faultless, innocent before His face, we can now become heirs of all things, all because of an overflowing hope of eternal life. Man, this is amazing. This is beautiful. Like, If this doesn't set something off in your heart, then I don't know what would. Like it's everything that He did for us and we just need to embrace it. Thirdly, what sets us apart? God made the move. Isaiah 43, 19 says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive and know it? And will you not give heed to it? I will even make way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So this is a passage of scripture oftentimes very popularly quoted that God is going to do a new thing and it's going to be amazing and don't, don't worry, don't be dismayed. The season of your uh, <laughs> you, the season of your wilderness is going to come to an end, being in the desert, like it will too pass because God will do a new thing. You're misquoting and misapplying this passage of scripture. This is a prophecy of what Jesus was going to come and do. The new thing that God came to do. So there's no more new thing that God is doing in light of this specific passage of Scripture. He's done one new thing and it was Jesus. And He made a way where there was no way. You had no way. You had no out. Jesus came to make a way for us. That's why He said, I am the way. Romans 3 verse 21 to 24 and then 27 to 28. But now, independently of the law, the righteousness of God is tangible and brought to light through Jesus, the Anointed One. This is the righteousness that the Scriptures prophesied would come. It is God's righteousness made visible through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And now all who believe in Him receive that gift. So how do you receive the gift? Believing. Not working, not striving. For there is really no difference between us. We all have sinned and all need of the glory of God. 
So all means all. Every person in this room, every person out there in the world of sin and are short of something. They're short of the glory of God. They're short of the life of God. They're lacking that. Yet through His powerful declaration of acquittal, God freely gives us a, uh, gives away His righteousness, His gift of life, and favor now cascades over us, all because Jesus, the Anointed One, has liberated us from the guilt, punishment, and power of sin. Can I get an amen? Verse 27, Where then is there room for boasting? Do our works bring God's acceptance? Not at all. It was not our works of keeping the law, but our faith in His finished work that makes us right with God. So our conclusion is this. God's wonderful declaration that we are righteous in His eyes can only come when we put our faith in Christ and not keeping the law. Man, this is awesome. Like I said, there is no comparison. Set apart. Completely set apart. He did the work for us. He made it possible because no man could do it. God came to do it. Philippians 2, 7 to 8. We talk about God making the move. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man. And was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. What was Jesus? He was obedient. <laughs> Who of you is going to start at being more like Jesus? Some of you don't want to be obedient. That's fine. You're going to miss out. Obedience is a privilege. It's something that we get to do. And this is part of the nature of God. He was obedient. So you can too be obedient. You can too resist the temptation of rebellion and self-centeredness. He was obedient. He was perfect example even in his death, the criminal's death by crucifixion. When Jesus came to, to make this way, he made the move. Jesus God didn't do it in a, in a small way. He didn't do it in an insignificant way. He didn't do it in an easy way. It was radical. Consider this. God, the creator of the universe, who existed before time, who lives outside of time, that God humbled himself. Just think about this quickly. We, we kind of think we're humble and we have an idea of humility. That God, that we're still trying to figure out his, his might, His power, how big, how vast. That God came to be born through His creation. Through a virgin called Mary. Born as a baby. Have you recently seen a, a frail baby? There's someone in the, in the house. No, no, not you guys. Like, um, I'm saying, like, uh, there's babies in the house, like, in the room on that side. <laughs> if you felt like I was referring to you, then, uh, like, that was not my intention. Um, so, let's just consider that, like, that's, that's the humility of our God. That's the vastness of His love for you. He made a radical move. It wasn't like a a move that we see in, in, in romantic comedies of a guy just made this romantic declaration and like there's nothing in this world that could ever com compare 
to what God did by coming to be born as a baby. You need to allow this to sink into your heart because this will radically change your life for God. How you serve Him, how you obey. But this is something that you need to receive, you need to think on, you need to consider. This is the love of God. He emptied Himself to come and make a way for us. We're coming to a close. Our God is a God of relationship. Romans 8, 15-16 And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned, for as He rises up within us, our spirits join Him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father, for the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us, as he whispers in our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. Again, there is no other. What we have is not only a God that we, that we serve and that we adore and that we worship, but it's also a Father. And it's beautiful because there's, there's, there's small glimpses of that reality that we get to see in life, in human relationships. With my children, like Chris and Michael, like I can see they adore me, like they, 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 they worship me in some sense as their father. And it's not from a, a place of having a servant mindset or, or a... a that they need to serve me or that they need to kind of give me that affirmation but it's from a place of union, relationship just experiencing father-son intimacy and that is, man, a radical separation from anything else in this world that we are invited into that family of God that relationship and when we come to understand that there will come a maturing where you want to be part of the family business, so to speak. Where you don't want to just sit on the couch and have your parents carry food around for you and, and uh, wipe off your mouth when you've had a meal and, and clean your diaper and things like that. But there will become a time where you're maturing and that you want to add value to the family. Where you want to be a contributor to what God is doing and the family of God. Amen. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.ca. And if you're ever in the Tigerberg area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us, or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website, www.gracelife.ca.